Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and placed him at the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will give you into the angel's charge, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to the devil, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the realms of the world and their splendor and said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to the devil, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve God alone. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. If I were to ask you to imagine what the wilderness looks like, what do you see in your mind? Do you see a wooded forest? you see a scorching desert? Do you see a frozen tundra? Whatever you see, I'm willing to bet that what you imagine probably doesn't look like downtown Chicago. Sure, some of us might refer to this place as an urban jungle, but I definitely wouldn't personally immediately think of this context here in downtown Chicago as a wilderness place. Maybe that means then that we are wilderness deprived here. Maybe there aren't enough spaces where we can be utterly remote and alone without the sound of our neighbors playing their music or a siren going by. Maybe then the concept of wilderness is unfamiliar to city folk like us. But as I thought about that more, and I thought about our gospel readings from Matthew's gospel today where Jesus is led by the Spirit after his baptism into the wilderness, the wilderness is not Jesus just this place where he is remote and alone, but it's a, it's a place where he is tempted. If we key in on that last point, the wilderness being a place where we are vulnerable to temptation, then I'm willing to bet that we are surely all not deprived of that wilderness experience here in downtown Chicago. After all, temptation is all around us, in the stores and the restaurants we pass, in the CTA advertisements that beg for our attention, and in the ways that things are presented to us to make us feel inadequate or insufficient without that next best thing in our lives. The wilderness of temptation is all around us in this city, and in that way we are not deprived of the wilderness, even though we are here in downtown Chicago. And in that way, too, we can certainly relate to today's gospel. But there is another type of wilderness that I 
William Beth that we can all relate to here as well. And this is a wilderness that is not dependent on where we are or where we live, because this type of wilderness is not external to us, but it is internal. This is the wilderness of our minds that tempt us to believe things that are untrue. The tempting accuser is that internal, in that internal mental wilderness, telling us things that are not that are untrue, like we are unlovable, or things like we should be ashamed, or that we are lesser than others. Or for me personally, I think the most insidious temptation that I experience in my own mental wilderness is to believe that I am somehow superior to others just because of my white skin, my U.S. citizenship, or my maleness, or my cisgenderness, or my heterosexuality, or my ability. And I was listening to a podcast this week when this internal wilderness idea that became utterly clear to me, that this wilderness inside of us is often more terrifying and even sometimes more tempting than the ones outside ourselves. And it was the Liturgies podcast, if you were under, if interested in what I was listening to. It's a pretty good one. And they were interviewing the incomparable Richard Rohr. And I was only kind of half listening to this podcast as I was driving until Richard Rohr mentioned the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is this personality type indicator uh, with nine different personality types, and it's something that I really love. Uh, so when I heard that, my ears perked up and my interest was peaked. And it's because this framework, this personality framework, it has enhanced my understanding of my own self, of my own internal self, my unconscious motivations that guide me this test and this type indicator has helped me in so many ways to name those things in my own life that have gotten me into trouble or sometimes not. And he mentioned the Enneagram during this interview because on this interview they were talking about religious fundamentalism and how people who identify as a number one on the Enneagram are tempted to become fundamentalists because ones on the Enneagram, they are called reformers. They are people who deeply care about right and wrong, and they want to reform the parts of the world that are violating their rules of right and wrong. Now, Richard Rohr identifies as a one on the Enneagram reformer, and he said something profound about his experience as a Catholic and as a one. And he was describing the ways in which he is self-righteous. Rohr is, is very aware of himself, and he professes that even at the height of his self-righteousness, never openly unkind to anyone. He said, instead, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Even worse than yielding his, wielding his righteousness outward towards others and cutting them down for their wrong beliefs, Rohr instead found that it's even worse than that, that he kept those thoughts inside, inside of himself, in that internal wilderness of his mind where he was tempted where he could harbor those unkind thoughts towards others without appearing to be judgmental on the outside. But he realized that's an only a temporary place that you can hide. Dear people, we can only give into that temptation of the accuser's lies in our internal wilderness for so long before those internal thoughts become outward expressions. And after being stored away for so long, those internal thoughts are stored for too long then usually come out sideways. They come out as nasty, hate-filled tirades. 
They come out as passive-aggressive nods. They come out as self-harm or even suicide. They come out as racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, ableist laws and policies that oppress and kill our neighbors and siblings of God. Dear people, the internal wilderness that we dwell in, in our minds, it must be made. It must be shared. Whether it's with a friend or with a family member or an anti-racism caucus or a licensed counselor or psychotherapist or even here in this community of faith, we must be willing to name and share this internal wilderness that we all dwell in. People are suffering in their internal wildernesses. And it's because we don't have safe and trustworthy spaces to share that suffering with others in healthy ways that we often transmit that pain and suffering to others in unhealthy ways. The wilderness can be a terrifying and tempting place, but together and with God, we can accompany one another through the wildernesses of our lives. And God knows the depths of our wildernesses. God, in the person of Christ, was led into the wilderness and was tempted. Because Jesus also suffered in the wilderness, these wildernesses of our lives can also be redeemed. These wildernesses can become life-giving spaces, places of solitude for us, free of the lies of the accuser. My most profound wilderness experience, experience was on a trip that I once took with my brother Nate. We road tripped through southern Utah, visiting national parks and just car camping along the way. But there was one night where we didn't camp right outside the car. This was a night where we camped deep in Glen Canyon. And we were able to get deep into the canyon by using a kayak, because much of Glen Canyon in Utah was flooded after the construction of the Glen Canyon Dam, which then formed a reservoir known as Lake Powell if you were kayaking along. And it's almost haunting to kayak through this canyon because you see the tops of the trees that were covered up with water that still stick out of the water. And throughout the canyon, there's these alcoves that were formed by water and erosion, they, they form these little beaches that you can camp on, that you can go and spend some time in these alcoves. And so we were kayaking, looking for an alcove that we could spend the night in ourselves. But we were discovering as we were kayaking for hours that we were arriving later to these beaches than the houseboats that were beating us there. So we kept going and we were going deeper into this canyon, not knowing if we were actually going to find a beach that was available for us to getting darker, we were starting to feel that sense of fear and fear that we might not be able to find a place, and we got the kayak all the way back out in the dark. And we eventually did. We found a place where we could rest our heads for the night. And we got there just before twilight, and as we settled in and laid our camping mats out, we didn't even need tents that night because the, the walls of the canyon just radiated the sun's heat all night for us. But as twilight kind of set in for us, that's when all the bats came out. And they started to eat up all of the bugs that had been buzzing around us the whole day. And then we experienced this sense of peace and darkness continued to set in. The bats went back to their resting places. The bugs were finally gone because they'd all been eaten up. And we just got to sit there in the quietness and solitude of this canyon, of this wilderness place. And it was in that moment that we were laying there, unencumbered by a tent, just straight on the ground with our camping mats there, and I had never felt more connected to both 
the dust of the beach that was right below us, but also the stars that shone so brightly above us, that stardust that we were also connected to. It was almost in this way that it was similar to like an Ash Wednesday service, a wilderness moment where I was connected to both my createdness and my mortality. And ultimately, in that moment, I felt more connected to God than I ever have. That God was as present in that moment, in that wilderness experience, as my brother Nathan was right next to me. Our internal and our external wilderness experiences, they might not always be that enchanting. There are many moments of temptation in these wilderness experiences, for sure. But sharing these experiences of our wilderness with one another, and trusting that God has been into the depths of these wildernesses with us, can help us navigate these experiences together. It can also help us to redeem these wilderness spaces in our lives. So as we begin this journey of Lent, may your journey through this wilderness of Lent be life-giving and may it be redemptive.